This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks for taking the time to join us on today's special welcome, as always, to those of you who are joining us for the first time. Uh, we are still in the midst of a series that we're referring to as the traits of today's sinister culture of UX. There are a lot of people, just unheard of numbers of people that are coming into UX. They're being sold on the discipline of user experience as a career path without being told the whole story. And so we have this massive influx of people that come in. They think everything is really easy. They think that you can learn everything about UX very, very quickly. They're thinking that it's not a skilled or scientific position. These things are all incorrect. They think that this is an area where everything is just wonderful and smooth and there's no challenges and that there's jobs aplenty and the whole nine yards. None of these things are, are true. And sadly, people come in and then they go into a job, quote unquote job, in many instances where it's made to look like the things that they believed about the discipline are exactly that and hold fast to that mindset. Talk about anchoring bias on steroids. And then when they start to run into the things that say otherwise, when reality comes to to introduce itself to these individuals, they go into denial mode. Uh, some of them give up. And, and it's really, really sad. So it's critical because UX is a fantastic thing. It is a valuable thing. It is not just a commodity. User experience is a business necessity. It should be a recession-proof. It actually, in its purest state, UX is a recession-proof discipline. Um, matter of fact, didn't really start seeing layoffs in UX until after a lot of the things that I'm talking about in this particular series started to pretty much become a norm and be accepted because the as I had a conversation with somebody recently, uh, they said that I, they were starting to wonder whether or not they need to get out of UX because they just keep trying to, to uh, fight an uphill battle and they just can't find what they refer to as Cinderella's glass slipper. I thought that was a great metaphor. And I say, yeah, uh, it, it is a really interesting time in UX to that individual uh, because I said the quote unquote ugly stepsisters are running things these days. People who are interested in practicing pure UX are at a gross disadvantage these days. And, and it's for many of the reasons, if not all the reasons that I'm mentioning in this particular series. We're today going to pick up on my list, which has grown quite a bit, and we're going to try to cover numbers 16 through 20 on my list of, of traits. Uh, and it's really interesting how you, you can try to do what you can to become qualified only for that to make you 
less attractive when it comes to trying to to carry out your career. It, but again, that's the sinister culture of UX today. We, I, I started saying, I, I've said this many, many times on the show, that I started saying in about 2011, 2012, that UX was under siege, that there were people who were trying to launch efforts to take the discipline over and change the discipline into something that it is not. And a lot of people, interestingly, some of them were the people who were silent that allowed this whole thing to take place in the in, in the first uh, in the first place. Um, they were telling me that I was crazy for saying that. They were telling me to shut up, and they were ignoring me. So it's funny how I, I sound off about things like this on this show, and I have been sounding off on things like this, really to be ignored by a lot of the people who need to be on the front lines of changing it. So uh, I, I don't really, I'm not concerned about the numbers of who hear me and who don't regarding these matters. I'm going to say what's true. Uh, people try to reduce what I'm saying to subjectivism only to turn around and get bitten by it. So you can say that these things are subjective if you want, but denial and self-delusion, those things are also part of the sinister culture of UX. And I'm sort of covering way more than the number that I'm, that I'm calling out here because those are traits of the sinister culture of UX today. They'll, people will deny what I'm saying and reduce it to subjectivism and then turn around and engage in subjectivism. So either subjectivism is wrong or it's not, uh, but a people are into they're they're serving their own personal interests. They have their own little agenda and and they're going to follow it. And and it's sad. And and one of the reasons I cry out about it so much is that we are a young discipline. We are still forming in the sense that there's a lot of people out there who don't understand what UX is. There's a lot of people who don't understand what UX is and decide they're going to make it to be something else or decide that it is something else. And so they begin to engage with UX and think about UX and express their thoughts about UX from their skewed perspective instead of what truth says about UX. And, and, and so we're fighting against these things because these things are, they're dominating today. They're absolutely dominating. And interestingly, the five things that I'm going to cover today are all related to this from the perspective that they all are connected to job seeking, hiring, interviewing, and things of that nature. Uh, I, I did a complete series where I was talking about what was going on in the UX job seeking landscape not that long ago. And so some of these things may even be a little redundant, but they need to be mentioned again here because they are extremely critical. They are extremely common uh, and they and they skew things because, again, you try to make yourself qualified uh, if you're doing it right. There are people that are not trying to make themselves qualified. They just want to get the job. They don't even equate being qualified with getting a job. They just want to get the job. And then there's people who are doing the hiring who are not trying to hire the right people. They're just trying to fill whatever kind of bias they have. And, and it becomes a really ridiculous scenario. Matter of fact, I'm going to start off with a bonus element here 
Um, many of you know, and, and by the, there'll be, it's funny, this is going to be recorded for posterity and people are going to be able to go back and hear it. As of today, uh, I was laid off due to budget cuts in my organization. First time I've ever been laid off in my entire life. And, and so I'm out there, I'm out there trying to, trying to find uh, a new gig like, like many others out there. And it's interesting how, when you apply for a job and the responses that you get from certain companies, I have never in my life, no matter what my, my career path was, no matter what I was, what field I was working in, I have never received so many lazy, misguided and lying responses from employers. We we're going to, uh, we decided to go with someone else. Thank you for your time, but we've decided to go with someone else whose qualifications better match our uh, what we're looking for in this role. No, you didn't find anybody <laughs> who who better matches what you're looking for in this particular role. That is a boilerplate. It is a it is a stereotypical biased an extremely unethical response when you're talking about somebody who has everything that's on your job posting and then some. People are just saying these things because they don't know what else to say. They're trying to make sure they don't get sued, whatever it might be. And somebody decided that you can say this and not have any legal consequences. But it's not true. It's not true. It's matter of fact, uh, some of these people looks like they looked at my job description and or my resume rather and wrote the job description. So it, it, it's really sad. You uh, many of these people, and we're going to again cover five things that help to to bring additional light to these things. And for those that are looking for additional jobs, you can't allow a rejection notice to get you down. Does it hurt? Yes. Is it frustrating? Yes. Is it disappointing? Yes. But you have to let that stuff roll down your sleeve and move on. Because actually, a lot of cases where this takes place, you dodged a bullet. I dodged a bullet. If companies are willing to be that dishonest, if they're willing to to engage in evaluating talent in a lazy manner, imagine what they'll do to you if you get in there. And, And abuse abounds. It absolutely abounds in the job search process. It abounds in the interviewing process. It abounds in the employment process. When you're actually working for a company, many environments are toxic. Nobody is going to tell you in the job posting that the that the environment is toxic. Some of them sort of they sort of give off signals to let you know that the environment is toxic, such as when somebody tells you that uh, you need to be able to thrive in a dynamic environment. Dynamic environment is code for extremely dysfunctional. Every work environment is dynamic in that there's a lot of things going on all the time. Nobody is concerned about things like that. That, that Why would you even mention that? But But companies say it because they feel they need to, or because some other company says it. And a lot of these companies copy off of each other in their job postings, never even bothering to consider the fact that the 
job posting that you copied off of has a lot of flaws. So you pick up somebody else's flaws. So it's, it's a really weird thing, but if you don't apply, you're not going to get a job. So you've got to go through the process. It is a necessary evil, but don't allow what somebody says or does in one job search experience discourage you. You need to move on. You need to move forward. Learn as much as you can, whether you get to the interview process or not. Learn as much as you can. And you know what? As, as, as much as it might be a little frustrating too, and as much as it could potentially lower your your the numbers of the possibilities of where you might be able to go, there are some companies that are so terrible, you're better off writing them off and never applying there. Because ever again, because it's just some companies are letting you know they're they're sending up smoke signals, so to speak, to let you know that they're a terrible place to work, that they don't care about anybody, that they're doing things the wrong way. Companies are, I, I talked to a company once where they confessed, you know, we're just constantly always hiring people that aren't qualified and giving them a chance. You know, and, and I did a, a, a podcast episode about the whole giving people a chance mentality because it's interesting how that the companies that are in the business of giving people a chance never give a chance to the people who actually earned it. They're in the business of always giving a chance to people who did not earn it. Consequently, if you've got a company full of these people, uh, how in the world are you staying afloat? How in the world are you meeting your customers' needs? How in the world are you fitting into the laws of economics? Because if you don't, that your longevity is going to be fleeting. And so do you really want to go and work for a company like that? Did you ever work for a company where everybody came to work and, and that particular day they were told that the whole company is shutting down or the entire UX department was going to be, was going to be let go. It, it, it's, it's, this is not a game, even though some people pretend that it is, or they behave as if it is, we're talking about our livelihoods. We're talking about our careers we're talking about our reputations and and people who who engage in the job search process no matter what role they're playing in it who and these people when they lack ethics this is when everything is just oh my goodness it, it's a terrible thing today so when you're searching for a new job you got to keep your head you you already know when it starts before you began to fill out the first application you know how volatile it is you know the competitive nature of the landscape you there's a lot of things we're supposed to know so let's use those things and, and to help bring about a higher sense of discretion and emotional intelligence into our lives so that we can be better off for it because it's 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 crazy it doesn't favor the job search process does not favor the skilled individual. It does not favor the qualified individual. Some people say, well, Darren, it doesn't favor the unqualified. Well, unqualified is not on the table. That's a that's a no-brainer. That's a non-issue because unqualified people don't factor into this thing anyway. I'm bringing to light what people don't realize, not what's blatantly obvious. We know the sky is blue. We know the sun's going to rise and we know that the, that it's going to set. We're not talking about obvious things on this show. We're talking about the things that people don't know, the things that people refuse to see, the things that escape 
most people were trying to bring these things to light on the world of UX. Not all this easy stuff that anybody can see. That 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 would make all of this pointless. And and we bring these things up because I, I'm bringing up things that people don't see, but there's an underlying message to practically any and everything I say. And it's that you should be able to see it. You should be able to see it. It's it's not like, I mean, if it was impossible to see, how could I even mention it? I'm bringing it up to help to drive greater levels of sensitivity, to drive greater levels of critical thinking, to drive greater levels of emotional intelligence. Because these are the things that are not only going to help you to get past all of the dangers and the pitfalls in UX, they're going to make you a better practitioner. And, and people talk to me about it and they confirm as much. I know that. And, and interestingly, there's people who want to complain. Why are you talking about this stuff? We need solutions. If you keep listening, you'll find the solutions. Some people bring that up. And there's one person I know, they never chime in on anything on social media that I say until they want to say something detracting, um, which makes that person a troll. So people don't see everything that we're talking about. We want to help you see it. We want to help you be better off for it. This is a means of serving the community. That's what this is. It is a means of serving the community. It's not making Darren Hood's life better. It actually puts me on people's radars and, and it makes a lot of enemies for me to talk about a lot of the things that I talk about. But anyway, you know what? Let's go ahead and get into the list of five here today and, and, and see where we go. I'm going to get off of that soapbox and get up on another one. Number one for today and number 16 on the overall list. Hiring misdirection today is actually a norm. And, and this is not really a new thing. It's just a trait of the sinister culture of UX today where people are, companies, I should say, are posting jobs and they're doing one of many things that are all reflective of misdirection. They say that they're hiring for an entry-level person, and this is another one of those copying the bad job description things that happens on a regular basis. They say they're hiring for an entry-level person, and then they say that they want somebody with two to three years of experience. Or if even when they don't say that, the things that they say they want this person to do are beyond entry-level. If you're hiring for an entry-level person, you can't be asking for this laundry list of skills that's more reflective of somebody who's been doing UX. They say three sometimes, but the things in the list are reflective of somebody who's been doing UX for five to 10. So just remove entry-level from the job in that case. Don't stop, stop sticking it to entry-level people by creating job postings claiming that you're looking for an entry-level person when you're looking for a mid-level person because then the entry-level people just get confused. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand the landscape. They don't have the point of reference. Uh, but there's a little misdirection going on there. There are situations where companies will say that they're hiring. I had a situation happen to me in my career where a person said they were hiring for senior, a senior manager, interviewed me for the role. I'm thinking that I'm going to be in a situation that, that finally I get to get something reflective of my skill level. This is going to be fantastic. 
And I go into the job. I actually get offered the job. And after I get offered the job, they do the okie doke and they flip it and they say, hey, we just got news. We're got, we've got some budgetary restrictions, so we can't put you in a senior manager role. We need to put you in a manager role. Uh, are you still interested? You know, this is going to uh, re- result in a $20,000 cut in the salary. Uh, and then I'm going, you know what? I'm thinking that's crazy. Something is wrong here, but I'm still going to go ahead and go for it, which was a bad move. On my part, admittedly so. I go into the position and it was the absolute worst position I ever went into in my life. It was insane. They they here I am, a person who qualified for senior manager role. They slid me instead into a stand, standard manager role. It turned out I had no reports to start off in this job. And and then I look around and I see these other managers. One senior manager and other managers, the senior manager had only been doing the, the work for about seven years total and was had no confidence whatsoever, did not really have any idea what they were doing. There were other managers who didn't have any experience practically at all, and, and it was an environment where everybody was unqualified, everybody is, everybody lacks confidence. Uh, everybody is scared. We even had a three-day, a three-day internal UX conference, if you will, or retreat, where the concept of UX never came up one single solitary time. How in the world do you do that? But at any rate, hiring misdirection. Look at what they did, and they brought me in. I don't even know why they brought me in. Um, in general, what it looked like after I got in there was that. They were always counting their their DEI numbers. And it began to look like they brought me in just to say that they had a person of color in a managerial role. They had no intent on, on me doing my job. They had no intent, no intentions whatsoever for me to actually manage they had absolutely no intention for me to function as a senior manager. And there was a scene, the senior manager was actually threatened by me. So that so the environment became hostile. It's just all hiring misdirection, all hiring misdirection. It, it was, I was a token hire that that's all I was. And so I'm thinking, and, and this is sad because a lot of people who are trying to get a job or apply for a job, you, you go into a role or you you seek out a role and you have these expectations, but the company's plans for you are completely different than what was advertised. And so you end up in these bait and switch oriented situations. It's happening, folks. It's happening. Take off the rose colored glasses that the boot camps and, and these other wannabes and UX celebrities are selling you. Take the rose colored glasses off. It, it, it's not what people are making it out to be. And, and it's really, when it hits you, if you don't embrace the reality sooner, when you when it does hit you later, it's going to hurt and it's going to hurt hard. You're talking sleepless, sleepless nights. You're talking losing your peace of mind. You're talking all types of the pains of life that are actually avoidable if we can just see things for what they really are. So, 
hiring this direction, and, and that's just a couple of stories that I can share. I've heard a ton of stories. I know uh, there's one person who told me that they were promoted. They only have a year, I believe, a year of experience, and their boss, in the name of trying to keep the person from wanting to leave, promoted them into a senior role. The person didn't have an option of not accepting this promotion, quote-unquote promotion, but the person was actually thrust into a senior role on paper knowing good and well they're not qualified for it, and they go outside and talk to other people about what they what their boss did, uh, but it's really another act of misdirection. And you got people who are going to come into the company. They see you as a senior, but then they uh, but then they see that you don't really function as a senior. Now they're confused. They're looking to that person for mentoring. They can't get it. It, it just all of this misdirection. They had an ulterior motive for giving the promotion. And it was a political move just to try to sway some things or do certain things in the organization that's really going to hurt everybody in the long run. Hiring misdirection is off the chain these days, and unfortunately, it is the norm. Nothing is what it seems, and whether it doesn't matter whether you get a promotion, whether you're trying to, to get a role uh, job, you, you you apply for a job because you know you have the qualifications only for the company to tell you that you don't, uh, and and it's not true. So it's really really sad today to try to navigate this part of UX when I call it a whirlpool. I refer to, refer to it as whirlwinds. Sometimes it's hard to navigate through a whirlpool. It's very difficult, but that's where we are and we have to still try to do our best to get through it because there are no other options. <laughs> so you either navigate the whirlpool or you try your best to just get out of the water and 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 people are starting to do it. There are people skilled people, qualified people are leaving UX. It saddens me, but you know, it's that's the reality. That's what it is. Next up up on the list we are being overrun today with AI, artificial intelligence-driven hiring. Or I should say AI being too involved in the, in the interviewing or the job candidate evaluation process. I believe the system is called ATS. You'll submit a resume and because people are too lazy and because people have no idea how to evaluate talent, they use these ATS systems, these, these artificial intelligence systems to scan the resume to supposedly find the most qualified candidates. Um, <laughs> I am so happy. When I was a hiring manager, I did not use ATS systems at all, at all. And, and, and you know, there are systems out there that will help you and help me to put together our resume to better match ATS systems to help get past the their little scanners, if you will. And, and so the whole who's the best candidate thing gets reduced to a system that has no idea 
what's going on. And, and and then they think that people think they're being successful because they hire somebody. Everybody always hires somebody and they end up uh, firing somebody too. It's, it, it, it's really interesting how the, the old adage that people are hired in some cases for what they know, they're hired for their hard skills in many instances. And then the, the person ends up departing over a soft skill issue. This whole AI thing is, it, it, it actually lacks when it comes to the soft skills side of things, not only from the standpoint of scanning for it, but it, it, AI in some instances is actually breeding toxic work environments because of these types of scenarios. So AI needs to be removed from that equation Companies need to start hiring people that are qualified to do what they do. They need to start hiring people that know how to evaluate talent. Uh, and when that happens, maybe they'll start hiring people that actually know how to run UX departments instead of people who fit some other kind of weird qualifier that somebody was looking for that has nothing to do with the work that's being done. These types of things are creating problems for UX, again, because we are a young discipline and we can't afford dysfunction. But dysfunction is the order of the day. So this is a problem. So next on the list, the actual interviewing process, the interviewing techniques. I remember working for a company once. I won't say who the company is, but I worked for a company and they said anybody in the company who is going to participate in interviews at any given time we want those people to be trained. You cannot just go into interviews and not know how to carry yourself in interviews. Now, that, and it sounds great. It sounds chivalrous in a sense. It sounds ethical. They were actually just trying to make sure that people didn't do anything in interviews that was going to result in the company being sued. Um, so that's, that's really all that was. Uh, so on one hand, it seemed great. It, the idea was great, but it wasn't executed properly because people still were not skilled at interviewing. It is critical. It is important. And no, people don't learn it in college. People need to know how to interview. There are things to say, things you shouldn't say, not because of the legal ramifications, even though, yes, because of the legal ramifications, I understand the business need there. However, people need to know how do you find out who's qualified how do you find out who's being genuine? How do you find out who actually is more likely to bring value to the organization and to the team? These are skills that many interviewers do not have today too. When people come to interviews and they provide the equivalent of a, of a psychological exam, Folks, that's not only is it not ethical, it's downright stupid. The the you have people who are not psychologists who read an article, and article readers are, are usually dangerous because they know enough just to cause problems. They don't know enough to actually navigate through what they're trying to apply. So people come and they bring a psychological question, and then they take everything about the skill, everything about qualifications and basically throw them out the window, flush them down the toilet, 
and reduce their evaluation and their choice among their candidates through this amateurish, ridiculous, and biased psychological psychological exam that they give, not knowing that they've opened the floodgates to bias. And so when you open the floodgates to bias, you are not going to make the right choice. It, it is absolutely impossible to do so. People will ask questions, thinking about from a legal perspective. You're not supposed to ask about somebody's kids. You're not supposed to ask a certain things about age or thing or things that that actually open up the floodgates to to ageism oriented biases and things of that nature. There are things that are not supposed to come up in an interview, and there are certain things that should. I have seen so many ridiculous things over the years during the interviews, but it tells you something about the company at large. I remember going to an interview once. I was interviewed by 10 people at one of the, I believe it's a Fortune 50 company. And I mean, ridiculous. 10 people, seven of them carried themselves very, very well. They were professional. They were asking all the right questions the types of things that should be happening at an interview. There were three of them, however, that weren't. One of them was going to sleep, and this interview was at 9 o'clock in the morning. And so, wow, rough night, huh? This person was sleeping during the interview. That was something that was extremely disheartening for me as an interviewee. There was another person who looked like he was, he came across to me, I always described him as a white supremacist. He was in the meeting. He looked at me like he wanted to murder me the entire time. He was leaning forward and almost like, wow, I wish everybody would leave so I can kill this guy. That was the persona that he presented. And I'm looking at this guy the whole time going, this is weird. This is weird. This is weird. And trying to get through the interview at the same time. Uh, And then there was another person who would just present questions that made no sense. This particular person in this interview asked me what I thought about patterns. He wasn't talking about pattern libraries. That's not what he was talking about. This person was actually asking about background patterns. You remember back in the 90s and the early 2000s or so when you used to be able to, to when you were designing a web page that you could actually apply a background, a pattern background? That's what he was asking me about. I could not believe he was asking me about something like that, but 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 he was, and and I answered the question based on what he was presenting, but it was one of the weirdest questions I think I had ever heard in my life, and, and it was something, because uh, you had to do a design exercise for these folks, and they sent it to you two days ahead of time, and then you came in, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not opposed to to that kind of thing. I know a lot of people are. I'm not opposed to exercises. I'd rather do an exercise than do a psychological exam. <laughs> psychological exam, those things are so subjective that that it's going to skew everything. There's Everything that you said that proved you could do the job is going to get thrown out of the window depending upon the state of mind that the person that's asking you the question is in, not on your responses, especially when they say there's no wrong answer. Yeah, there is. There's always a wrong answer. If there's no wrong answer, there's no sense in asking it because then it's not going to bring any value. Not really. So 
these interviewing techniques that people have, companies need to make sure their people are equipped and skilled at doing interviewing. And they need to make sure that people know how to synthesize the data they gather during the interview. That's part of the process, uh, part of the problem as well. And yeah, this is not a brand new thing, but it is happening at epidemic levels in UX today. So that's the third one for today. The fourth one for today, at which is really related, why do companies even allow the unskilled people to come into the interviews? People who are unskilled, a very thin line between the two, I know, but people who are unskilled come into interviews or they, they bring these people in. Hey, this person's new to the team. Let's bring them, them in. Bad idea. Bad idea. Did you ask if that person has any skill at interviewing? If yes, do they have skill interviewing UX candidates? If the answer is no, eliminate them from the from the interviewing team. They should not be there just because. And, and one of the reasons I've seen this many times in my career and heard about it many times in my career, that when you have people who are not skilled at interviewing, a lot of times they will insist because there's always the meeting. There's always the discussion. Hey, uh, we're going to be interviewing for so-and-so and so-and-so. And then this person who's new, hey, is there any way possible I could be a part of that? People who are trying to jump in and it's not their thing, not only can they not interview, but they have no skill at evaluating talent at all, or they're new to UX, and they have no skill when it comes to evaluating UX talent. These people have side agendas, and when you expose a candidate to someone's side agendas, that is grossly unfair to the candidate. That candidate is not going to, to play out well. Matter of fact, they're not going to do well, I should say. Matter of fact, the person who's going to get the job is the person who's going to be least qualified because the person with the side agenda who knows that they shouldn't be there in the first place and is probably not even qualified yet, and they're going through these imposter mindsets. I, I God forbid I call it imposter syndrome. You know how I feel about imposter syndrome. It doesn't really exist. But they, these people are not, they don't feel like they're imposters. They are imposters. They tell you they feel like imposters because they don't want to face the fact that they are imposters. And those are the people who give people that don't deserve a chance a chance while eliminating the person who earned the chance. These people with these side agendas, they're doing a lot of damage and they're doing it on somebody's watch. So whoever is in charge, whoever is above that person making the decisions, that's the person who is complicit, not the person with the side agenda. The person who allowed the person with the side agenda to be a part is to blame. So a lot of us are sitting at home today because somebody had a side agenda. <laughs> and that's not that that's not fair. You know, it is what it is, but it's not fair. Onward and upwards, no matter what. And last one for this particular set, the occupational outlook expectations. I've alluded to this a little bit earlier. The occupational outlook expectations for UX on average are ridiculous. You have the last number I heard using Google as an example, the Google UX program through Coursera. 400,000 people have completed this program. 
That means, just generally speaking, that there are 400,000 entry-level people vying for approximately 1.5% of the positions available in UX. Does that make sense? Absolutely and unequivocally not. It does not. Why are all these people flooding into UX? Why are all of these people coming from academia trying to get UX research jobs when there was already a whole bunch of people who were trying to get UX research jobs that couldn't? Now you've got these people who know nothing about operating in the business world trying to get positions that they actually don't qualify for. They're getting chances. Yeah, they are. Because people think, hey, we, we can bring a PhD. And they, and they know nothing about what it is to operate with their head on a swivel because you don't have to have your head on a swivel in academia. You have to have your head on a swivel in the corporate world because we're not taking three years to do a research project like they do in academia. In some cases, you might only have three weeks and they're not ready for that. So the, the occupational outlook, in other words, the expectations that people have when they come into UX is not realistic or they are not realistic. And so then you get these people, they're on social media crying the blues because things don't match their expectations. It's like I'm a big, a big movie person. Some of you who, who have spent time talking to me know that. I'm a huge movie person. I grew up on movies. I That's one of my major pastimes when I do have some time. I, I'm, I'm at the movie theater. I have rules around it. I approach it scientifically the whole nine yards. Love movies. And one of the things I know about movies and to make sure you, you have a great movie experience is eliminate the expectation. If you go to a movie expecting X, Y, and Z and you don't get X, Y, and Z, the chances of you enjoying that movie are now dramatically reduced because it didn't match your expectations. You refused to allow the director and the screenwriters and the actors to do their thing, and you wanted them to match what you wanted, but you're not the director, you're not the screenwriter, and you're not the actor. So you can't control that. The only way to really do things properly and in an equitable manner is to just go you know what the movie is. You know what the subject matter is. Just go and let them tell their story and do their thing. And then you can come and say whether you did or did not like what they presented. But you can't mix in your subjectivism and then decide that you do or don't like it because it didn't do, they didn't do what you wanted them to do. That same type of thing is going on. The expectations that people have doesn't match what reality is. And so people start to mouth off and go on these mega, mega, mega rants about what things, how things don't fit their bill when everything they're saying is completely subjective. Uh, hey, this is the way it is in UX. There aren't that many, not only are there not that many entry-level positions, there will never be a wealth. And then you've got some big name UX people who are going around saying, you know what? You just need to hire a team of, of entry level people and just ride with it. They're saying that because they want to come in and sell you a $50,000 training package. 
not because <laughs> not because that's the way to do things. Every team, depending upon the the breadth of the team, should have X number of seniors, true seniors, not people who got the you know the microwavable promotion, not the people who got put in that position because you're trying to make them feel good. Not that. I'm talking about real seniors, people who've been doing the work for 10, 15, 20 years, because we're getting displaced left and right. You can find people like me everywhere and and companies don't want to hire us. And I've been saying, I'm not just saying this because I was laid off recently. I've been saying this for a long time. They don't want to hire us because they don't want to be accountable to what we know. They want to be at the top of the food chain and they re- they actually resent anybody else who truly is. That needs to stop. So the the having realistic occupational outlook for UX is to understand what's really going on in the discipline, factor that into your strategy for managing your career, whether it's seeking a new job, your career advancement in your current job, whatever it is, the occupational outlook, which ironically, the government's occupational outlook to this day, still, last I checked, which was recently, they've never written anything in the occupational outlook for UX. We're not even on the government's radar when it comes to UX. Isn't that interesting? For those of you who know about occupational outlook, we used to have to, I've told this story before, we used to have to go and 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 look at these occupational outlook books to look at the careers that we thought we wanted to go into and get an understanding of what the occupational outlook is. And that was part of the pursuit of that position. That's not being done today, nor is it being shared with people. And then when you do share it with people, they get mad because you're not matching what they want it to be. We're not going to stop telling the truth, me and people like me. We're not going to stop telling the truth. Uh, folks are going to have to grow up and and deal with it. It's this is what it is. And if you want to succeed, this is what you need to do. Here's the 10 20 things you need to do in order to to achieve success in this arena. So, those are the five today folks. Hiring misdirection is the norm. Let's deal with it. AI driven hiring is creating a a boatload of problems or IA being involved in the hiring process is creating a boatload of problems for us today. Deal with it. Let's navigate it. People, way too many people with terrible interviewing techniques today. A, it's a reality. Let's deal with it. Companies are allowing too many unskilled people who are unskilled at interviewing and people with side of agendas onto the interviewing teams. It's terrible, but it's happening. Let's deal with it. And and the occupational outlook that people have, the expectations, is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, that's something that we as individuals make yourself a committee of one to learn more about what the occupational outlook is for UX and then temper your expectations and your job seeking strategies accordingly. So those are the five for today. We will be back with another five next time. Again, I've got some interviews in the hopper. We're going to we're going to break this up a little bit and share some interviews with you. But until then, folks, it is now time to sign off. So until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, wishing everyone all the best. Till next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.